Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. We wrap up the sci-fi extravaganza on Zach on Film this week as we talk the mini retold story of War of the Worlds. Tell me what you know about War of the Worlds, Zach. I know uh, that Tom Cruise is the main character, and I think he has a kid and he plays baseball with him. And uh, Wrong War of the Worlds. Oh, I watched the wrong one. Uh, War of the Worlds. Uh, Martians come to Earth and um, they blow some stuff up. And only by the grace of God are we saved. And only by the grace of uh, biology and microbiotics. Oh, no, that is not that is oh. not the message at the end of the movie. It is not, oh, great, the little microbes. It is like, God has done this, has given us the littlest <laughs> thing to kill the these Martians. Yeah. descend from heaven and jack just, slap the slime. Like it, it does say that, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It is like been really probably like which, 20, which, it's been probably 20 years since I've seen this film. And watching it, I was like... Wow, I just do not remember the huge religious undertones that See, here's permeated the, this movie. Here's the thing. The religious undertones are super obvious to us now, right. I think. But when people used to say, by the grace of God, they didn't mean God. Act, like well, They meant it was good luck that this happened. It's just that in a country where everyone's Christian, you mm-hmm. get to say stuff like that. Well, but I, I don't know if it's that way in this particular film because... You have a clergyman who is like, well, why don't we be peaceful with these people and why do we do these things? And he ends up becoming a martyr in the film. Mm-hmm. He's one of the first mm-hmm. people to die. And then, of course, she has uh, the, the, the female lead has the big extended place where she was like, I was lost and I was found uh, in a church. True. That's true. And sure. then the end sequence takes place in a church. And then mm-hmm. the whole speech about how God and his benevolent wisdom created these microbes to, yeah. to save us all. And then the whole... Um, uh, chorus the the choir singing mm. at the end of the piece is like mm. wow i just this is a movie that i saw when i was probably three years old okay and it didn't scare the crap out of me like the blob did okay and for some reason this has been like the de facto sci-fi movie for me since i was a little kid sure i mean i remember drawing pictures of the aliens and the alien eyes and the uh and not they they weren't the, the tripod well, ships that are well, in this you thing. in America because this is you know this movie's important it is it really yeah. is but it's funny because watching this now and thinking back to what I remember as a eight year old or ten year old when I was like sucking up anything aliens oh. mm-hmm. um I there are huge chunks of this movie where I completely don't remember well there's so much like talking in it just yeah there and is it's, it's, just... it's so much like. Uh, stock footage of some like war and crap. Narration. That they had. <laughs> I I couldn't believe how much of this movie is voiceover. So in the original War of the Worlds book, this takes place in England. It's a story about the the narrator, whatever his name is. He is trying to get back home to see his wife during the midst of all this. And the in the book is actually two parts. The first one is uh, the Martians attack, and so the first half, uh, you know, the, the first book is all about the alien invasion. The second half is the aftermath and how people are trying to cope in this alien infested world until and like, this is a period of about three weeks is the in the book because that's how long it takes the aliens to to succumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's then dealing in this world of alien ravaged lands. 
when War of the Worlds was turned into a radio broadcast in 1938 with um, Orson Welles and the CBS Mercury Theater on the air, the first half of their production was, we're doing this live as if an alien attack is occurring, and then, if you believe the story, well, it depends on what story you believe. Orson Welles, will all, I think, went to his deathbeds uh, claiming that he didn't know that this show was having the impact that he had. Mm-hmm. But supposedly halfway through, he was told, oh, you're freaking people out. And so then if you listen to the rebroadcast or if you listen to a recording of War of the Worlds, you hear that the second half of the book or the second half of that audio drama is a narration of and then I walked through the dark places and everything was happening. And it it's really becomes a very different uh, story. And that's kind of what kind of what happens here. Right. Is that what you're where there's so much narration going on? Yeah. And it it's not necessarily bad yeah because it really does kind of make it feel more like a worldwide story without going you know straight to the stock footage thing lo the great indian army and the you know it it feels kind of like what they they show the newsreels as being like in the 40s okay so so when george powell put this movie together he had intended this movie to kind of be done in three acts in three different ways the first part of the movie was supposed to kind of be in black and white, like what we saw. A lot of it was very washed out colors. Mm-hmm. Then the middle part was going to be in the whatever Technicolor or whatever that they use this in. Mm-hmm. The third act of the movie with the invasion of Los Angeles was all going to be in 3D. So you nice. could experience oh, things well. in three different ways of this movie and really kind of, I guess, span a lot of what was going on and really bring impact to the aliens blowing the crap out of uh, City Hall and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, they didn't do do that. Thank goodness. Probably big expense. Probably, Probably expense. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad they didn't do that in here. But yeah, it is really weird when you're watching the beginning. You're like, "War on the march," and it's like, "What is this well, stuff?" And yeah. then, then suddenly it becomes color, and you're like, oh, "Okay, it settles down a little." Well, bit. and 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 besides that, there's there's more narration like at at, at different places in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really kind of takes you out of the the story of the main character. Um. But then again, the arguably the main character is not like the first person you meet. Like you only kind of start seeing him. Like, like he doesn't introduce himself until a lady like basically talks him up for a while. It's like, oh, yeah. by the way, it's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna look at this rock and not touch it at all or investigate it. <laughs> Let's go to a saw cop. Right. I'm sorry, like a square dance. It was weird to me when the when Paul Freeze voice popped up. Yeah. And I'm like, I, oh my god, it's like a goofy cartoon for a moment. And that threw me too. But yet, that's that's what we call voice nerd problems. So George Powell made 14 films as a producer or director. Won Academy Awards for seven of those movies. That's wow. pretty. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty good. It's Between nice the rate. years of 1950 and 1975, the man picked up seven Oscars. Wow. Almost every other year. He won an Oscar for Destination Moon in 1950. He won an Oscar for Special Effects in When Worlds Collide in 1951. He, was, he won the, or the movie won the Best Oscar for uh, Best Special Effects in 1953 for World of Worlds. Um, he was the producer of, producer director of Tom Thumb in 1958, which won an Oscar for Best Special Effects. The Time Machine, he was the producer and the Mor- Morlock designer and won the Oscar for Best Special Effects in 1960. And then uh, The Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm in 62 for Best Costume Design. 
the Seven Faces of Dr. Lau uh, won, won a Makeup Honorary Award in 1964 for an Oscar there. And um, his final film, uh, Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze, it released in 1975. Didn't win any awards, and I've got a... Is that the Ron Ely movie? Yeah, and that's Ron Ely. So what happened was, and this is, the, this is a kind of a sad story for a director like George Powell, who is this seven times... His movies have won Oscars. He's produced mm-hmm. seven Oscar-winning movies. Uh, he had this great grand plan to adapt Doc Savage, the pulp uh, figure, into movie form. And he had, I forget who, uh, Ron Ely was on board. Uh, there was somebody else um, on board with this, too, uh, that I forget. And then right in the middle of the production, or right as the production was about to start, the studio was sold to new owners. And the new owners came in, and as in many TV stations, studios, whatever, it's time to clear... Mm-hmm. Clear the, 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 the leftovers. Get rid of everybody. Mm. And so they completely defunded the Doc Savage oh, movie. Wow. And they defunded it so much that they were limited into their locations. They could only afford to use John Philip Sousa marching music, which is why there's the American anthem keeps playing throughout the uh, <laughs> our Stars and Stripes plays throughout the movie. And it affected George Powell so much that he never produced a movie again. Hmm. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, uh, when you go through his list of movies that won all of those awards, uh, it kind of gives me a better sense of, oh, you know, what they were kind of going for when mm-hmm. they made this movie. Because I don't feel like this movie is the strongest film story-wise. I thought the story yeah. was pretty... Uh, pretty so, what was it we were talking? What was the movie we watched last week? Um, uh, oh, Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet. Planet. And you had made the comment that you thought that this was like a Michael Bay movie of its day. War of the Move, War of the yeah. Worlds is the Michael Bay yeah, Independence absolute. Day of its oh, of its absolutely. time because yeah. it's all just let's show the same gun firing six times in the scene. It'll be awesome. And yeah. then lasers. Yeah. Let's take stock footage of people at war and yeah. a shot of that little cobra. You know, I am. I'm not. I'm not certain that that was stock footage of, of people really? at war. If you think Korea War was, Korean War was, was it just coming to a close in 53? About there. Yeah, so, I think the Korean War closed. So you have a bunch of military right. vehicles coming back and not doing anything. What a perfect mm-hmm. time to incorporate that stuff in the military is just <laughs> looking for something to do. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Well, that's what I was thinking about this movie. It was just like, they... They're getting close, probably, to come out of a war, I'm assuming. My timeline's mm-hmm. on wars is really bad. Uh, it's like, we have all this footage. It's just there. Let's make a movie. When we'll fill about, you know, 15 minutes of the movie. We have 15 minutes of a movie just in stock footage, guys. Like, we can do this. It's going to save us so much money. Yeah. Let's, fi- let's find a story, and we can do this. Did you like this movie? No, not really. How come? I, I, like, uh, I just found it completely boring, and, like, everything about this felt... Uh, from where I am now in 2014, like over 50 years, almost over 60 years since this movie released, like I've seen this movie told better. Like it's ever like I know it's like the beginning of the thing, but it's yeah, so but isn't played that, isn't out. That why you... It's so boring. Usually, usually, like I can I get a sense of it and it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, not this time. It was like, does every hero have to be in love? And right, why are right, we right, focusing right. on this? And the ending was like the worst ending ever. Yeah. And uh, Aubrey was like, why aren't we watching the new one the whole time when we're watching this movie? Yeah. This ending is actually one of the best 
takes on this ending mm-hmm. because the ending of the story is just kind of like, and then they died. And then they the died. End. And yeah. then we went back with Here, our lives. It, it almost works. <laughs> I've, I've never liked it anywhere. When, when Stephen and I were in college or just after, they made a TV series which followed up on the events of basically. Yeah, that was movie. when we were in high school is when that, was that TV series oh, okay. came out. Yeah. It was in the 80s, early 90s, sometime yeah. back there. I don't know. I, I probably drank a lot. But that series had to pick up from the end of this mm-hmm. where it, well, and it was and like, they all died. And it was 30 years later. And the thing was, yeah. what if they didn't die? And the thing was, mm-hmm. they because we what saw the they... scene, they, they had this scene with the, uh, with the Geiger counter and how everybody was radioactive. So what they did <laughs> was they took all of these aliens and they packed them into these steel canisters, you know, 55 gallon drums, mm-hmm. and they went and buried them all across the country. And they stockpiled all the, the war machines all throughout the uh, throughout various military bases. But the thing was, the aliens were merely hibernating. And the fact that they were <laughs> near. They were pining for the field. And because they were close to so much radiation at these nuclear waste facilities, they were able to be reborn yep. and take on human form. Or like, yeah, like absorb themselves into people yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, like it's it it really crazy. It was yeah. it was a crazy series that that came out. But I think did anybody else love the bit where the the guy? Hey, what's this crazy thing you got over here? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna stick this up my nose. It's like, oh my god! It's like Andy Devine, just kind of like, oh, I don't know what this thing is. So I, I guess some things to keep in mind, Zach, is when mm-hmm. we talk about starting points. You know, with sound effects going on with a lot of the lasers and uh, death rays and skeleton beams that are coming off the ships, a lot of that stuff pioneered here and carried out through decades, literally Mm. decades Mm. of uh, sound effects. What were you going to say, Rodrigo? What was I going to say? I don't know. I just got on sound effects. Um, Nope. Totally lost it. Was it about uh, a lot of the scientific uh, inaccuracies? No, I, I, yeah. Sort of. Um, actually, <laughs> uh, going back to the ending, um, I, I think th- the ending is really deflated, actually, by the fact that they were about to try that. Mm-hmm. Right? They were like, oh, yeah. well, what if we give them a disease? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then that all fails, but they die from a disease anyway. It's <laughs> like, that's even worse, you guys. You they shouldn't have even it up. Well, but again, it kind of... It, kind of, it um, sets it up a little bit. It but. kind of sets up that... that the the religious speech at the end right where basically it's like oh yeah we are not we are not the masters of this world right there are other things going on there are powers at play that we have no control over and a higher being or whatever that's that's doing these kinds of things that i think that's kind of maybe a a take on that but i i think uh interestingly it it somehow makes it an even more or like an even less satisfying thing. It is like, yeah. oh, we were about to try that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I can't believe God beat us to it. Yeah. What it, I, it makes our hero look very ineffectual. Well, he yeah. is. No, yeah, he totally yeah, is. He is it, He is not. He's a scientist. But everybody in this movie are not there to solve the problem. They are there to bear witness to the alien invasion. And that's the only reason why they're in the movie. Mm-hmm. is to bear witness to the fall of civilization and the potential of rebuilding civilization once it comes out. The military isn't effective, no matter what they do. The uh, the blister pack or whatever that they've got on their heads, the aliens have on their heads, are ineffective. Um, the governments around the world are ineffective. The scientists are ineffective. Um, and Our then, hero, Bat Masterson. Is and then the, you know, the citizens, especially at the end when we really see Los Angeles, is left up to the mob and how... <laughs> 
man is nothing more than yeah. this mob mentality that will pillage and loot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when uh, when they should be saving themselves or looking out for each other or you know because he has that speech of it's science stuff don't you understand we're trying to save you <laughs> and people are like shut up with your science punch him in the mouth <laughs> take that we, we don't want your science around here good heavens Miss Takamoto no sorry I got well no you know there are some great references I mean the 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 sounds that the alien ships make are <laughs> again <laughs> stuff that you hear right with that that whole um I don't know if anybody caught Dr. Clayton Forrester I is did. the name of the uh, Dr. Forrester from MST3K. It He's took based me back on to Oslo where I was drunk and woozy, scratching <laughs> Paula Cranston in my thigh with a nail. Yes. Um, the other I... thing is uh, the Pacific Institute of Technology or Pacific Tech mm-hmm. is a made up college uh, university from California. But it is a university that has been used again and again and again in many films. Anytime they need to use a fictional university, mm-hmm. um, Matthew's one of Matthew's favorite uh, one of Matthew's favorite films, Real Genius, takes place yes. at Pacific Tech, mm-hmm. and that's all that's because right. of of this movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting, um, which is great. You know, I was trying to. It's interesting when they were doing the war room scene. If you look at the map of the of the world, mm-hmm. you never see Russia once on that map. It's all cleverly blocked out. So that you never see Russia, and they never mention Russia at all in this piece. They're like, France is being overtaken, Italy's been yeah. overtaken, Japan, and then you look at the map, and it's like Australia is nothing but black tribons all over the place, <laughs> meaning like they're decimated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing in in Russia, of course, obviously, with the Cold War going on. Yeah, um, they I do. Just, they do mention Northern Africa once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like lots of cities in like uh, France, the Americas, yeah. and yeah. Europe, Canada. Yeah, northern. Northern Africa gets mentioned once, and yeah, it's like uh, and uh, Rio de Janeiro pops up in there. Yeah, but uh, Canada I just, was completely overrun by I Phil just, Spector's haircut. I just found it fascinating that there was no mention of Russia whatsoever. You think they destroyed it? Yeah, it was like <laughs> Russia has been completely decimated. There, no God one West. cried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that I mean that makes sense. It's 1953. Mm-hmm. It's the height of the Cold War, but. It, the thing that really kind of confused me is that sequence when they were talking about how they attack and how they do their thing. And they're like, and then the cylinders do this and the cylinders do that. And I'm like, what's, what's a cylinder? Those are the crafts. Those are the things that, that the, crash into the, the earth. Yeah, yeah that, that's okay. what the manta rays the the like, come out of. They're, they're not really cylindrical. <laughs> well, because in they're the movie. Because they're buried in the dirt when we see them. That's the thing. In, in the book and in the... Um, um, in the radio drama and somewhat referenced here uh, in the radio drama in the book, you talk about these giant puffs of smoke that come off the planet that they're observing. It's because it's believed that the Martians used huge cannons to fire these projectiles containing the Martians to uh, Earth um, based on a lot of what Jules Verne had written years ago on sure. a trip to, um, from the Earth to the moon. And so that's what they were using in here. And so these cylinders, these projectiles, are what are being shot towards yeah, Earth. giant bullets. And if you watch the remake of uh, War of the Worlds, it is essentially that same thing, where, there are yeah, these, where they crash in and yeah, they explode cylinder, out of yeah, the these ground. cylinders mm-hmm. come crashing into the ground uh, to, uh, to embed themselves. Interesting. Uh, you, know, you know the... The miniature work in this film was, yeah, was pretty, pretty awesome. awesome. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I did laugh hard 
out loud when you have the old like kook when the first one like first one wrecks and they're all checking it out he's gonna hit hit with this uh shovel you can tell they're like forcing the perspective of the thing to be super huge and then he's being small and he just takes this shovel and just swings it like completely through like oh like like, he's supposed to like oh you totally hit it like i know there's no like that dude is 40 feet away from that you can tell by his body motion about it though the special effects in this movie for that time period are fantastic. Yes, and really the fact good. that we're talking about 1953, when did Forbidden Planet come out? Uh, 56. 56. Yeah. Forbidden Planet didn't come out until the next year. And we're dealing with, uh, you know, 1950s concepts of science and space and, and things to it's where, yeah, in hindsight, things do look ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But go 60 years from now, Zach, when you're uh, 52. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And you look back to what you were doing when you were 21 and 22 and stuff. You're going to go, I remember back in my day, uh-huh. you had to type on a, a thing to get the information. Now oh, yeah. we just see it in our brains. No, it, the special effects were pretty were pretty freaking awesome in this. Um, and it's even more impressive when I think in three years, like Forbidden Planet mm-hmm. comes out. When I think there's a huge jump. Yeah. In special effects, when yeah. how they're doing the laser beams and the giant mm-hmm. monster outline things, uh, uh, so that was uh, like it made me realize like we still do this all the time, yeah. you know, yeah. and we don't. Yeah. And I think we give people less and less credit, especially now, mm-hmm. for oh, sure. how like advanced special effects yeah. are right now. I mean, and how it, what, like what like really what Michael Bay. And the people pull off for Transformers, like those movies. When you actually watch them transform, are pretty amazing. On how intricate, like they're like flipping and all the things right, are coming right, up. Right. Like, but we just crap all over those movies. But like, if that or like now, like War of the Worlds, like I don't think it's a very good story. The special effects were pretty awesome. Uh, but this is like way like oh, it's like the coolest thing ever, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. it's just because of that. Well, but I, now, like, I, it, I don't know. I don't know. If you think thing. about, if you think about, again, in the time period that this was released, audiences do want to see a love story. They want to see the yeah. guy get the girl, and they want to mm-hmm. see the bad guys defeated. The, it's but we still, but we still want to see that now. Yeah, yeah. Like mass audiences the, still want to see and that. The big difference is instead of using a uh, um, a grinder to get your special effects of yeah. of uh, stuff shooting out the laser beams, yeah, you use a particle system mm-hmm. and you shoot it out the out the front. Well, and and the difference is, uh, which movies do we see that show us something that we haven't seen before? So, for mm-hmm. example, the Tom Cruise mm-hmm. War of the Worlds, we've literally seen that before yeah, yeah, yeah. in this movie. Um, but, uh, you know, Life of Pi won a, a um, an Academy Award yeah. for special effects because there isn't a lot of stuff that looks mm-hmm. like Life of Pi. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, The Matrix... Yeah. Uh, was doing new things, right? New things with technology that had been around for a while, but it kind of brings it together and all that stuff. So usually, I think the the movies that deserve that praise and that get that praise are the ones that, rather than just say, like, we have the biggest, most baddest mm-hmm. graphics, are the ones that take all of the little things that they can do to craft this, like, overall experience. Yeah. Um, you know, which is why, you know, Jurassic Park, there's puppet dinosaurs right. and yeah, CGI yeah, yeah. dinosaurs, and they kind of get all mm-hmm. get brought together mm-hmm. to make a, a strong, believable right. what I, special effects like mesh. What's really crazy, Zach, when you're, when you're thinking about special effects is that 
if you go back and watch the very first Toy Story movie, yeah, from today's perspective, mm-hmm. you're going to say, well, that animation is crap. <laughs> look at that, how bad the humans look, and all the people look oh, like yeah. terrible. Oh, I do that with movies that were made four years ago. Well, I know. It, it, yeah. it, what it does is we end up with these little leaps in technology yeah. that end up catapulting us really far forward when it comes to comes to special effects. So Rodrigo was mentioning uh, Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were going to be using a process called go motion and go motion is where you have a little puppet dinosaur on a little articulated arm and it looks super great Mm -hmm. and underneath in the skeletal structure you have little servo motors Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you program in the move of that dinosaur and what you do is instead of just you know um, playing the servos and having it move you move the dinosaur the servo remembers where the last move was and then and this move was and then as it's Mm -hmm. exposing that one frame of film the servo actually moves the dinosaur, so you get a motion blur effect. And that's oh, if you yeah. look, go back and you look at Jason and the Argonauts, you go back and look at uh, the Sinbad movies where they're doing the Ray Harryhausen fighting skeletons and Medusas and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Well, even uh, Clash of the Titans, yeah, sure. you don't have motion blur in those in those movies, and so everything kind of looks fakey. Steven I Spielberg, Steven Spielberg was ready to go with Go Motion, and you can find online on YouTube somewhere. Just type in Go Motion. Tyrannosaurus Rex or Go Motion um, Jurassic Park, and you'll find mm-hmm. the test footage that they did, and the dinosaur looks—it looks real. Yeah, I mean, the, the, and it's a practical prop, right? But then someone came in and said, "Hey, Steven Spielberg, we got this new thing <laughs> called a computer, and we can do these dinosaurs <laughs> in imaginary land." And uh, Steven Spielberg says, "Okay, well, scrap this whole Go Motion thing," <laughs> and Go Motion fell off the. I mean, in one day, this idea of Stop motion animation, the stuff that we saw in The Thing, gone. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. now people can start to move this to a computer system. Yeah. I and guess. and if you keep looking at things like particle systems and you look at things that do little minute details, like these little nerdy things from the um, Transformers transforming yeah. and, and all the little gears and, and gizmos in there, these are things that 20 years ago or five to 10 years ago, yeah, they sure. would have said computer processing is not there yet to, there, there yet to where we can do this maybe if yeah. we had 20 supercomputers today what i have on my desk can outperform anything that pixar was doing in toy story sure i guess so th- again mm-hmm. in 20 mm-hmm. years oh yeah 20 years you think nuts. about how archaic the special effects movies that you love now yeah. are going to look and to a kid who was i don't know Seven and eight and just <laughs> eating this movie up every time it came on Saturday matinee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, those were the special effects that we saw all the time because there hadn't been that big leap yet. Um, Star Wars was still a year or two away. And so everything that we saw as kids or that I saw as a kid at that age was based on stuff that had been going on the last 20 years. There hadn't been that evolutionary jump. And to be honest, I don't know what the next evolutionary jump in special effects is going to be. Yeah. I Do you have a, an idea of what the next thing is going to be i know we talk more and more about computers being able to replicate human motion and not having to do as much um motion capture and computers starting to anticipate what human movement is like robots i I think i think it is going to be basically a uh like more of a motion capture thing like i i think it's it's gonna be something like being able to act out the movie um without um, like like basically and just let the movie like let the machine extrapolate everything that's going on at any given point mm-hmm. 
um, and that's just going to like cut down on cost significantly. Well, you know, one of the things that's what is it called the not Lumix. That's a particular brand of of camera, but there's a brand new camera out. Well, and Adobe has shown this before. But there's a little camera, it's about a lipstick-sized tube of a camera, and it's got multiple image sensors in there. And it's not a, a high super quality, it's not 4K or anything like that, it's probably, I don't even know if it's 720, maybe 640 by 480. But the fact that it has all these sensors in there, you can take a picture, and you can then go in later and say, oh, well, you know, instead of the focus point being on that microphone, what I really want it to be is on Rodrigo's nose. And you just go into the application and you right. go click on Rodrigo's nose and it snaps everything mm-hmm. into focus and instantly refocuses and calculates new depths of field and all of that. I mean, when you dummy proof technology like that to where it's like, well, just, you know, go out and shoot it. And if it's a little out of focus, that's fine because we've got the technology to focus exactly where we need it. I sure. mean, that's a pretty big, pretty mm-hmm. big leap mm-hmm. for it. And we see that with well, camera raw and the ability to come in and manip- manipulate colors and images later on. Yeah, and I mean, and, and we see that as like as cameras become able to capture more and more and more information, and mm-hmm. you can even have that a system like that where you basically have a thousand little cameras mm-hmm. uh, pointing at the same thing. Then you get to do that. I mean, in in the most basic way, uh, we at at my work. Um, like my day job, we got uh, HD cameras before we converted everything else to SD yeah. mm-hmm. or to HD. <laughs> mm-hmm. We were still in SD. So we were able to shoot things like super wide yeah. and then just make our cuts um, in such a way that we could like digitally zoom in and lose, you know, almost no yeah, yeah. quality. No, no resolution. Because there was so much information there. Yeah, you technically weren't zooming up. You were zooming to 100%. You weren't going oh, to 110. Right. That's right. You were actually shrinking the image down and maintaining quality <laughs> yep. to hit to SD. And that happens a lot. That's why a lot of people are really excited about these uh, 4K and 5K cameras because yep. film is still really about 2K resolution. Well, yeah. a little bit higher than 2K, but yeah. um, but you can shoot at 4K and then you have this ability to punch in like 20% well, and yeah. not worry about losing. Or you, you can... With that, you can like reframe your shot yeah. if you're off yeah. a little yeah. bit. Like you don't have to be perfect anymore. <laughs> and when you look at look at someone like George Lucas, and you look at, and I know a lot of people complain about Phantom Menace, but you know he really kind of wrapped his head around this idea of I can go in and I can tell a story however I want, and if I want to shoot, um, you know, Anakin and his mom having a conversation, and then later on I have this brilliant idea of let's get C three PO and R two D two having a conversation, I can digitally go in and do that, and the end result, no one will be able to tell the difference. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. It also comes with its own set of headaches and sure, sure, questionable sure. activities. Yeah. Um, and questionable activities, I think, are going to be what the next big thing is 20 years from now. Because I believe that 20 years from now, we will have people who have the technology to make a new Audrey Hepburn movie uh, and there is sell a- it. There, you you bring that up. There is a movie that I have been debating on watching on iTunes. Let me find it here real quick. Oh, it's the one with uh, the girl from House of Cards. Yes, who's I can't remember uh, her name. She won like Emmys. Let me Google girl from House of Cards. <laughs> she is the wife of the president. Uh, go to the indie section. Uh, indie. It's there. Uh, I'm thinking. Gosh, dang it. As soon as I find it. I was just reading about it. It, it looks... it looks. It's pretty much what you're talking about, Matthew. So essentially what happens yeah. is this young starlet decides to give up her life. Um, they go in and they digitize her. They take pictures of her. 
they do everything for her and they create essentially a digital version of her and she still gets paid. She's taken care of her life, but they always ensure that this actress will remain and look the exact same age for the next 50 years. Yeah. And, um, I wish the I Congress, could, the Congress, that's it. Ha, found it. And it looks kind of trippy if you watch the trailer. That's why I haven't really fully bought into it because it looks a little bit more than just this concept. Oh, well, mm-hmm. sure. But it's, it's basically, story, we are going to create digital actors and hey, in 25 years, you know, well, yeah, and every, somebody's going to die. Your favorite actor is going to die. And if they have him totally scanned or her totally scanned up and down, back and forth, they can go in and recreate that digital recreation of the person. And because they've got yep. lines of dialogue and lines mm-hmm. of word, they can type that into the computer and the computer will spit it out. And it sounds just like that actor with all the inflections, wherever you want to put them. And you can create a virtual actor yeah. that is indistinguishable from the real thing. Well, I'm, and we never have to worry about Harrison Ford breaking his leg I'm, again. I don't if I don't remember if they went ahead with this, but I know um, in the next two Hunger Games, Philip Seymour Hoffman yes. has a very prominent character in there. And then um, when he passed last year, uh, he still had I think like two or three more big scenes to do. And I'm, one of the things I heard them talking about was they were going to do face mm-hmm. replacement on an actor mm-hmm. and then get his lines done mm-hmm. um, by a uh, sound alike. Yeah, I guess. So, I mean, <laughs> we were like, kind of like we're kind of we're there. in a place yeah, where it's there. possible. Well, in fact, in the Congress, Robin Wright is the, yeah. is the actress. Um, in From the princess bride. Yes. Yeah. And in oh fact, and in fact, the princess bride is the, is the thing. Let me read you this. Uh, let me read you this because the uh, more than two decades after catapulting to stardom with the princess bride, an aging actress. So the, in the real world, in this movie world, the princess bride happened. Mm-hmm. They, I don't think they refer to her as Robin Wright. An aging actress playing a version of herself decides to take a final job, reserving her digital likeness for a future Hollywood through a deal brokered by her uh, loyal longtime agent, and the head of uh, Miramount Studios, Miramount mm. Studios, Miramount. neither her, Paramount nor Miramax. <laughs> her alias will be controlled by the studio and will star in any film they want with no restrictions. In return, she receives healthy compensation so she can care for her ailing son and her digitized character will stay forever young. 20 years later, under the creative vision of the studios and uh, head animator, Wright's digital double rises to immortal stardom. With her contract expiring, she is invited to take part in the Congress convention as she makes her comeback straight into the world of future fantasy cinema. I want to see that now. Yeah, it but, yeah you got to watch it because it, it, there are parts of it looks like high, like really weird fantasy stuff. Like there's some animation yeah. stuff. Like, I don't know. It, it's, it looks interesting, but I just haven't pulled the trigger in watching is it. Is it on the Streamulator anyway? It's on, it's on iTunes. I would imagine it's probably on Hulu or someplace like that. Um, but it's got Robin Wright, Harvey Keitel, Paul Giamatti, uh, Danny Houston, John Hamm, and um, and some other people. You know, on the Philip Seymour Hoffman thing, I was going to make the joke that they could get John C. Riley because <laughs> I, I, but I thought that would be you know inappropriate. So I told you about it afterwards. Yeah, but I mean, you're right. I mean, that is probably the next big jump in. 
yeah. in cinema is the digital act. I mean, we see yeah. it now. Well, and, and forget that. You know, it's like you see movies like, I don't know, what was it, like Simone or, mm-hmm. or, or yeah. whatever, where like you just make a 100% mm-hmm. fake person, right? Mm-hmm. I right. mean, and we see that we see that in music with something like Hitsune Miku mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that, where this person doesn't actually exist, but anybody can type in, can make a song, type it in, yeah. and have this mm-hmm. character sing it. Yeah. And yeah. they have concerts that people pay for and go to mm-hmm. for this entirely non-existent character who is also kind of crowd-owned in, yeah. in a yeah. sense. And, and, and mm-hmm. that people, yeah, that people kind of uh, put input in as opposed to something like, say, the Archies or Gorillas, where mm-hmm. it is just one group of people that just happen to have kind of animated alter egos. Right, right, right. right. That can but, you- I mean, once you have that, mm-hmm. is it not a step further to just say hey you know Lindsay lohan is really difficult to work with let's well, if, put her in our movie and 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 in the case of the congress here that's kind of what it is mm-hmm. she has no rights they've totally mm-hmm. digitized her it's up to an animator and whoever else that controls her and she can have no objections to it so why not digitize Lindsay lohan and yeah. get the performance that you want well, and play her pay her some money so she can go do whatever she right, wants right, to go right. do the question then, is does she get a say in it if the answer is yes then it's probably ethical if the answer is no it depends on what the deal is, right? Problems. It depends yeah. on what yeah. the deal is. And that's why in this case with uh, Robin Wright's character in this movie, she, her contract's up in 20 years mm-hmm. and the contract is up. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I, I I, think that's interesting that, I don't know, because, you know, there are some actors and actresses that in their younger days, they look really, really good and they have some great performances. But then you look at someone like Henry Fonda, for example, who uh, is able to bring a fantastic performance as an old man in On Golden Pond, or um, um, uh, Douglas. Um, Michael Douglas? No, his dad. Uh, Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. Michael Douglas Sr. Yes. <laughs> Kirk Douglas, who, as a young actor, was great, but as an elder actor, is fantastic in many of his roles. Yeah. And so, you know, being able to preserve somebody in Amber, uh, mm-hmm. to pull another Jurassic Park there, um, could kind of limit you as a creative a, a creative. Yeah, uh, sure, person sure. if yeah. you're only working with 20 year old Lindsay lohan for the rest of your life mm-hmm. but then again i mean if we look at uh just last year in the day of the doctor or night of the doctor rather yeah when they did the regeneration to john hurt they ganked john hurt footage from 1975 mm-hmm. when john mm-hmm. hurt was you know 30 years old yeah they they digitally inserted it and they stuck a new voice on it i mean that that was awesome but then, you know, if you take that to your next step, Taylor Swift doesn't do nudity in our movies. So we're going to create a digital Taylor Swift who will. Or, you know, we're going to create a, a, a better looking Taylor Lautner. Right. There's, Not that's possible. A- there are obvious ethical issues that you run oh, up yeah. against immediately, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and that is that is a question that most people don't much care about because... Very few of us are Hollywood actors, but it, you know Hollywood, you know, uh, you know the actors all have rights. And oh, so what you're saying is, we as the consumer view actors as our commodity yep. that we mm-hmm. will buy and do with. Absolutely, as we absolutely. So I, I think a lot of people are like, "Well, that would be great. I would love to see a new thing with uh, Audrey Hepburn or mm-hmm. anybody. You know, any any given. I would person. love to see Fred Astaire dancing with a mop I would, or a vacuum cleaner. I would love to see young Farrah Fawcett in something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's like, but 
current Farrah Fawcett gets a say in that. No, not, not really. Well, yeah. She, yeah. I believe Farrah yeah. Fawcett. Yeah. yeah. Well, Farrah Fawcett's a state then. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it is. And uh, that's an interesting thing that you bring up about we view our celebrities as commodities because the current um, phone hacking scandal mm-hmm. is really kind of about that is oh, absolutely they yeah. are no they are not people with rights they are something that somebody looked at and said i don't care about their privacy because they owe me quote unquote owe me for whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so this is okay by that but you don't see them breaking into zach's phone or rodrigo's phone or my phone or matthew's phone because we're quote unquote nobodies mm-hmm. so <laughs> also because we're dudes and this mostly just happens to ladies. right and we're, well, we're ugly yeah. dudes at that. I mean, yeah. even if we were famous people, there aren't going to be as many people who want to see us as want to see Jennifer Lawrence. But, but you're right. The fundamental issue there is that people think that celebrities exist for their own entertainment and that's mm-hmm. it, right? Well, uh, the guy playing uh, Clayton Forrester here, pretty good looking guy, mm-hmm. which if you've seen uh, Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension um, – uh, Jeff Goldblum's glasses and hairstyle match and jacket, Clayton Forrester. Right? I mean, well, oh, uh, he wears more of the cowboy outfit. Oh, that's true. That's true. But yeah, yeah he he really pulls a lot from what he perceives to be uh, sci-fi, uh, you know, Hollywood scientists from. So it's kind of an interesting take. Is this the first time you've seen this movie? Uh, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Yes. Did you like it? I wasn't crazy about it, honestly. I have I have a, a lot of the mm-hmm. same uh, opinions as Zach on this one. I just thought it it was slow. There were times where it's like we could have gotten to Zappy Zaps, yeah. and we mm-hmm. spent a lot of time on like a boulder being unscrewed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I understand that that builds tension and all that right, stuff. Right, right. But I thought you know it's like it seemed that any time the movie was gonna be like okay now we're gonna get to the romance or now we're gonna mm-hmm. get to the fighting or now we're going to get to anything it like just switch switches gears on you so it was kind of a pacing thing for me yeah, like the, the special effects are cool i love is... i love that spark yeah, yeah. effect that, yeah, the, yeah. that the lasers have i i, I think that <laughs> that needs to be brought back somehow i think it does well in fact yeah. there's a project in one of zach's uh, compositing classes he had with me where we did the laser gun whereas basically uh, i was yeah. recreating that with yeah, low yeah, particle yeah. systems mm-hmm. yeah i think it's just a i think it's just a grinder yeah, yeah, yeah. on metal and they just cropped it out and did that yeah. but you know as i said at the beginning i love this movie as a kid but watching it and it's been again 20 years i ever got huge chunks of this movie and you're right when you remember the best parts of the movie the movie's fantastic you add in all the other stuff yeah the other yeah. stuff and it doesn't it does not hold up no how many years 60 years later 60 61 61 yeah. years later it doesn't hold up but I bet if I, 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 I bet know. if I watched uh, Independence Day, and I That's see true. Jeff Goldblum oh, plugging yeah, a no. USB stick into a uh, <laughs> alien device, yeah, yeah. Uh, that doesn't make a whole well, lot of yeah. sense either. Also, like no. the the science, the science in all sci-fi movies is always suspect, suspect. and that <laughs> has not gotten better no. in any way. Uh-huh. Like there are different things that the public knows that don't work that way, right? But mm-hmm. Obviously, sci-fi is always pushing that envelope, always trying to get to the stuff that people don't know that much about, because that's the yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah, right. So it's like, let's sit like a mile away from an mm-hmm. atomic blast oh, yeah. and see what happens. <laughs> oh, it's, but, it's just like, but that's what used to happen. Oh, my gosh. Back yeah. in the 1950s. I mean, if you go to... <laughs> there is a, where everybody is standing there, you think it's radioactive? Yeah, yeah it's we like, better move back a few feet. I'm like, um, what? <laughs> But, you know, in Las Vegas, the Stardust Hotel is named the Stardust Hotel because you would be able to see the nuclear um, 
the nuclear uh, tests from Las Vegas and the Stardust Hotel. If you go back and look at the old um, logo treatments of that, isn't a an atomic cloud, cloud is a mushroom cloud. Oh, great. And people just go there and it's what sure. you do. Sunday yeah. afternoon, I, we're golfing. There's a oh, mushroom yeah. cloud. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the interesting, the point you bring up of like the science never matching up with sci-fi. Yeah. Like if you, if you watched gravity last year, you could have seen any number of scientists and astronauts just shred that movie. Yeah. yeah. Just, just con- completely destroy it. Well, and I'm sure in, uh, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, we look back on Nolan's Instellar that comes out this fall. I'm like mm-hmm. this dude was so off base. Oh sure, yeah, but, uh, but we'll get there. But I mean, 60, uh, go ahead. Sixty years down the line, you have to look and see. It, it, it has aged better than it could have. Oh, that's true. Because sure. the same thing. You know what else came out in 1953? Abbott and Costello go to Mars. Yeah, <laughs> that movie, also a sci-fi picture, has has not aged as well as this I well think. and and honestly i think the, the biggest issue that i have with this movie is pacing which mm-hmm. we have seen movies that were made before this that have better pacing oh, yeah. like it's pacing i don't think i mean it, it, it might be an artifact of the times where it's like you could make a, a movie that moved a little bit slower or because we weren't used to this level of sci-fi being around all the time there was a lot more explaining that you had to do i can see mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. but i think that there are other movies that are a lot more economical with their time than War of the Worlds. Yeah, you brought up the the scene where the ast- the asteroid is unscrewing. Yeah, it's like you have that tension of it's unscrewing. Like what's going to come out? Cut to dance. Yeah, dance. That the was dance like an scene odd... is so weird. Yeah. And then it's like they do something there. Cut back. Thanks to unscrewing. Okay, oh yeah. Now we're gonna so, cool he can get, so he can get into his joke about. Uh... Some about the soda pop and and being able to relaunch the cylinders soda back pop. to back into space yeah. or like, something. It was we just, just, a just stupid watched this gag. movie. We don't even literally remember what that scene we, was yeah, about. We, we just really, know it was there and it ruined the pacing of yeah. the good scene. You know what it kind of reminded me of? Do you remember um, uh, Zach? This is not a question for you, by the way. But, okay. Uh, do you guys remember Star Trek: The Motionless Picture from 1979? Yeah. Where they spent so much time showing all of their wonderful effects and making sure that their wonderful effects got into the movie that it totally hosed everything. Do you think yeah. they were trying too hard to give us the grounding, the the normal people dancing at the dance, and the you know the the uh, and I, I I'm sorry, the yeah, one appearance of this, the this American alien. life suddenly destroyed by aliens, and they have to establish yeah. that. They tried so hard to ground the movie that they actually had it dragging. Yeah, and by the way, the alien with the with the Simon machine in his face—that yeah, was boy. that was not scary. To me. <laughs> As a kid, again, from a kid's perspective, if I set my two boys down to watch this, one of them would be wetting his pants, mm-hmm. right. and the younger one would be <laughs> freaking out in the middle of the night because the monsters are outside of his window going to get him. Sure, I just the Simon monsters, Dad. <laughs> no, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Zach doesn't even know what Simon is. Yeah. I, oh, okay. Oh, good. yeah. It's the, prede- it's the predecessor to Bobbit. Okay. I'm going to kill you, Zach. <laughs> Zach, tell us what you learned and then take us out of here. Uh, I learned that in the in the 50s when you were going to make a sci-fi movie, I think you had to reference God, so you kind of just got this whole idea of extraterrestrial life kind of 
you kind of balance that out to make everyone happy. I think this movie totally solidified the idea for me because if any movie we've watched in this past month and a half, they all have they all drop God someplace in there. And I think it's just to balance out the whole idea. Uh, I realize that we do like special effects in our movies, but we really like it when you're actually gonna tell a new story or invent something else in special effects. Cool, uh, which is why. Uh, Gravity did so well, but Transformer 4 was raked over the coals by critics. Both special effects heavy, but give us something new in the story department or push the boundaries of special effects and then we will reward you. And so that is what I really learned from this discussion and from watching War of the Worlds as I drag this out to say this episode is brought you to in part by the, our Major Spoilers VIP members. Around the world, thank you for your support of Majorspoilers.com and the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you'd like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com and sign up today. Thank you in advance and over to Majorspoilers.com and find that podcast posting page where you can give any of your thoughts and ideas of what we discussed uh, uh, today about War of the Worlds or anything you had in your mind after watching this film. Next week, oh no, while you're there, click the Amazon.com link and you can buy anything Amazon offers books, movies, pencils, diapers. It's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to major spoilers to help us go, go, go each and every week. Next time, we are done with sci-fi, jumping back into everyone's favorite genre, Western, as we watch Shane on Zach on Film. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.